Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Hello, I'm Doris Day, and on the other side of this hedge, James Garner, who plays my husband, is making love to Polly Bergen, who plays his wife. Now, wait a minute, what am I saying? I'm his wife, and she's his wife. Hmm? That's right. And if you want to have the laugh of your life, watch them unscramble this torrid triangle in their new movie, Move Over Darling. No. Now, don't do that, Nick. Darling? Please don't take advantage of me just because I'm a woman. You're my wife. One of them. Yeah, you know, I really have to do something about that. Yes. Come on, darling. Take off your no, shirt. No, don't, Bianca. Don't. Oh, don't. Be Bianca. Come on. No, no, don't. Well, now that's it. That's it. Oh, don't. Our lips shouldn't touch. Move over, darling. I like it too much. Move over, darling. That gleam in your eyes is no big surprise anymore. Cause you fooled me before. I'm all in a spin. Move over, darling. About to give in. Move over, darling. And though it's not right, I'm too weak to fight it somehow. When two girls go scrambling after the same husband up in the same honeymoon suite, watch out for the fireworks. Fireworks? It's an atom bomb. Co-starring Thelma Ritter. I can't quite seem to adjust. Two daughters-in-law for only one son. Fred Clark. I don't know what you two or you three think you're doing, but I insist that one of your women leave this hotel at once. Don Knotts. Elliot Reed, Edgar Buchanan. Why, why, can't we have a little order in here? And some air-conditioned hanky-panky with Chuck Connors as Adam in a South Pacific Garden of Eden. It's more fun than has ever been crowded into one picture. Hey there, it's Brian Davis. For this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie Move Over, Darling from 1963. The studio was 20th Century Fox. The release date was December 25th, 1963. The running time, 103 minutes, and it was a huge box office success. It made $12.7 million. That's $120 million today. And by the way, it was also in color. Leonard Maltin from his classic movie guide gives it two and a half out of four stars. His quick review says, A woman long thought dead returns from a desert island sojourn, only to find that her husband has remarried. 
It's slick and an amusing remake of My Favorite Wife, with a strong cast of character actors milking every laugh. Now, my mom was always a big fan of Doris Day movies, so I'm sure I first saw this on video as a kid or on television. And then once I was introduced to the Rockford Files on TV, James Garner became one of my faves. So I often returned to his early comedies. Okay, let's get into the main cast. You have Doris Day, who plays Ellen. Now, I've covered Day's career on the Do Not Disturb episode, so check that out. And that film was released in 1965. In 1963, Day was one of the most popular movie stars around, and her films were almost guaranteed hits. That's how popular she was, especially her trilogy of romantic comedies with Rock Hudson. James Garner plays Nick, and covered Garner's career on the Marlowe episode a few weeks back. By 1963, Garner had just finished the popular TV series Maverick, playing the main character. 1963 would be one of Garner's finest film years as he starred in four successful films. The Great Escape with Steve McQueen, The Thrill of It All, also with Doris Day, The Wheeler Dealers with Lee Remick, and then wrapped it all up with Move Over Darling. Now, Leonard Maltin briefly mentioned that there are great character actors in this film, and they include Polly Bergen, Thelma Ritter, Don Knotts, John Astin, Chuck Connors, and Thelma Ritter. Okay, let's get into the making of the film. So, as I've already mentioned, Move Over, Darling is a remake of the 1940s screwball comedy My Favorite Wife, which starred Cary Grant and Irene Dunn. But the initial inspiration was a poem called Enoch Arden, written by Alfred Lord Tennyson in 1864. It was then made into a silent film of the same name in 1911. Move Over Darling was supposed to be a starring vehicle for Marilyn Monroe and Dean Martin, and then it was supposed to be directed by George Kukar, entitled Something's Gotta Give. But Monroe was battling her own demons, which had been well documented, and her erratic behavior led to numerous delays in filming because she wouldn't show up to film. Monroe would claim, and there are medical documents to prove this claim, that she had a chronic sinus issue and that led to her absence. Finally, the studio had to take Monroe off the film and then she died of an overdose soon after. The other issue, which was not related specifically to Monroe, nor Move Over Darling, but Fox at the time was spending a ton of money on the film Cleopatra, which starred Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton. And Taylor and Burton were causing delays in shooting from their own personal issues. So Fox decided that two films and two major stars, Taylor and Monroe, well, them causing film delays was just way too much. And since Taylor and the film Cleopatra already had millions of dollars spent on it, Monroe was the easiest contract to replace for a film. After Monroe was fired, they gave the role to Lee Remick, but Dean Martin had it in his contract that he had approval for his co-stars. And Martin was a close friend with Monroe, and he nixed the recasting with Remick and said he wouldn't be in the film without Monroe in it. Fox did actually try to rehire Monroe, but her death occurred almost a month after she was fired. There is footage of scenes with Monroe and Dean Martin, which I'm sure can be found online. And I've also seen the footage as they appear on the DVD version of this film. The entire tone of the film would have been completely different with Monroe. There's something about Doris Day cast as a mother compared to Monroe that is more believable, of course, with Doris Day. And you have to remember at the time, both men and women enjoyed Doris Day films, whereas the vast majority of audiences looking to see a Monroe film, well, they were male. And that was obvious due to the sexuality she portrayed on screen. The entire film was recast along with the change in director, with Michael Gordon taking over. And he had success directing another very popular Doris Day film that was Pillow Talk with Brock Hudson. The reason Fox wanted Doris Day in the lead, besides being very bankable and a successful star, 
Day had sort of spoofed Monroe in a film with James Garner called The Throw of It All, and that was very successful at the box office, which was released the same year as Move Over Darling. Plus, Doris Day had the comedy acting chops and charisma very similar to the screwball comedies of the 1940s. Polly Bergen, who plays Bianca, had worked with director Michael Bergen before and was cast to replace Sid Charisse from the original cast with Monroe and Dean Martin. Bergen's background was similar to Doris Day, as she came up as a singer which evolved in acting. She also appeared in the original version of Cape Fear with Gregory Peck and Robert Mitchum. Bergen was initially apprehensive about taking the role opposite of Doris Day because she felt she wouldn't receive any screen time, and that Day would be treated like a star, and that Bergen would be the second banana. But that wasn't the case at all, and Bergen couldn't have been more complimentary of Doris Day, whom she adored working with. Okay, let's get into the film. As with most Doris Day films from the late 50s through the 60s, the opening credits feature a song sung by her. The film begins in a Los Angeles district court, as attorney Nick Arden, that's James Garner, is appearing in court to declare that his wife Ellen is legally deceased, as she's been missing for five years after their plane crashed in the Pacific Ocean. She was never found after the rescue attempts, and now Nick is engaged to a woman named Bianca, played by Polly Bergen, and he can't marry Bianca unless his missing wife Ellen is declared legally dead. The judge presiding, played by Edgar Bree Cannon, is a bit scatterbrained and annoyed with his ongoing arthritis and doesn't initially understand what Nick is trying to do. He's also not impressed with Bianca's behavior in the courtroom, which involves her adjusting her hair and jangling her jewelry. The judge hilariously goes through the paperwork, again annoyed with Nick attempting to help him with the brief, but ultimately declares Ellen legally dead. The judge then marries Nick and Bianca, though he's even more annoyed with Bianca and her claim that his arthritis could be cured by psychotherapy. We are then taken to a port where a U.S. Navy submarine has submerged. And we find that Ellen, that's Doris Day, is not dead, and she's been rescued. She's been living on a deserted island this whole time. Ellen immediately races to a phone booth, remember those, and attempts to call the original house telephone number, but it's no longer in service. This leads to a hilarious back and forth with the operator attempting to give the new number to Ellen as the operator won't simply connect her directly. It's amazing how five years has changed things for Ellen. Exasperated, Ellen gives up and the Navy sergeant offers to give her a ride home. Ellen races up her driveway and sees her two young daughters playing in the backyard pool. Ellen hasn't seen her children since they were infants. Nick's mother, Grace, played by Thelma Ritter, is also staying at the house talking to the housekeeper. Daddy looked for a mother once. 
She drowned in the ocean. Did she? Long time ago. We're the only one in our whole school has drowned mother. Would you like to have her back? Can't have her back. She's drowned. Like this glug glug glug. Um, tell me something. Do you miss her? Every Easter, Daddy takes us to put flowers on her grave. Her grave? Don't be sad. She's not in the grave. She's at the bottom of the ocean, the deepest part. Oh, I know. Tell me about your school, what you do and everything. We're not supposed to talk to strangers. I'm, I'm not really a stranger. I know your daddy. Our grandma, too? Yes. She's inside. Well, first I wanted to see you. What for? Because I heard that you were both so pretty. And you are so pretty. Are you gonna cry? She was crying that late. She was not. She was so... Um, she's just goofy. You'll find a chicken in the freezer, Maria. And, and that is what we are going to have for dinner. Freezer? In the freezer. Frio? A chicken for dinner. Sabe? Listen carefully, Marie. We're going to have chicken. You know? Chicken. Chicken. Ah, 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 ah. Ah, si, si, senora. Pollo bueno. Wait a minute, wait a minute. And there will be a man. An hombre. Hombre? Come here, aquí. Aquí? To wash the windows. Is Sabe wash windows? Windows? See, si. windows. Wash the windows. Oh, here he is now. I'll tell him myself. Uh, I want him to start in the den. And Mario, you go get the pollo. Está muy bien, señor. Enseguida, enseguida. Follow me. I'll show you where I want you to start. Grace. <laughs> Grace thinks Ellen is the window washer at first, but then faints when she realizes it's Ellen and she's alive. And then it's time for Ellen to be shocked when Grace reluctantly reveals that Nick is now married to another woman. Grace always adored Ellen and doesn't think much of Bianca. Grace tells Ellen to fly out to where Nick and Bianca are planning to spend their honeymoon, which is in Monterey, California. And if all goes as planned, Ellen will be able to ruin their new marriage. The hotel is the same where Ellen and Nick spent their honeymoon. Ellen arrives before Nick and Bianca and waits in the lobby. I believe you have a reservation for me, Arden. Oh, yes, Mr. Nicholas Arden. And Mrs. Arden. <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Arden. How very nice to have you with us. Thank you, sir. Sweet A, I believe. Yes, Mr. Codd. A, don't you have something else? Well, it's our very best. After all, the honeymoon... I know, but I can't. I mean, I'd rather not. You must have something else. See, it's not quite as large, and it hasn't been redecorated as late. I'll take it. Boy. Sweet C for Mr. and Mrs. Arden. Thank you. Oh, uh, Mr. Arden. Uh, I, uh... 
Well, it's not that I have anything against Sweet A. I've been here before, you know. Anything else, sir? Uh, darling, I'll be right back. Well, where are you going? Well, I have to get some change. Oh, darling, we can take care of that later. Oh, of course. Uh, enjoy the champagne. Good evening. His and hers to us. I'm supposed to be nervous. I'm the bride. Well, that's what makes me nervous. I, I mean, sweetheart, I, I need some cigarettes. I, I better go get them. I've got some cigarettes in the bedroom. Filter tips? Yeah. Can't stand filter tips. Oh, I'll snip them off for you. Uh, honey, it's... I, I need a shave. Oh, it's such a compulsive flight from reality. You don't need a shave. I do. You, it relaxes me. All right, then. You shave here and I'll watch. Like Queen Victoria and Prince Albert. It's not the shave, Albert. I, I mean, it's the massage. It's what they do to your face with their fingers. It... Well, I have fingers, too. But not hot towels. I'll be right there. From the barber stairs. Down shop. Stairs! Since some of the humor of the last clip is visual, as the elevator door closed, Nick saw Ellen standing in the lobby staring at him. He couldn't believe what he just saw, which is why he's so frazzled with Bianca in their room. He also receives a locket from Ellen, which had the pictures of their children when they were infants. Nick hurriedly goes down to the hotel bar to see Ellen, though he can't believe she could actually be alive. I'm sorry. Oh, 
So yeah, it won't be as easy as Nick thinks, especially with Bianca up in a room with a negligee on, waiting to consummate their marriage. There's a really funny scene where Nick and Ellen go to the front desk of the hotel and arrange to book a room for Ellen. The clerk, who had already helped Nick and Bianca, is dumbfounded about Nick having another woman with him in less than 15 minutes since he checked in. (laughs) There's also a great appearance from the character actor Fred Clark as a hotel manager, Mr. Dodd. Ellen, though incredibly happy to be with Nick at the hotel, won't stay with him until he breaks the news to Bianca and annuls their marriage. This also leads to another funny scene where Ellen is upset that Bianca is attractive, and if Nick had really loved Ellen, he would have married an ugly woman instead. (laughs) In the meantime, Bianca thinks something horrible has happened to Nick because he hasn't returned to the room. Plus, Mr. Dodd doesn't want the hotel being treated like a cheap motel, with Nick having two women staying in different rooms for his kinky dalliances. (laughs) Nick goes to the room with Bianca in it, and that conversation does not go well. No surprise there. It also didn't help that Ellen is in the room next door and can hear everything. Bianca, please. I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. Where are you going? Outside. Have a drink. Nicholas, please don't leave me. Don't you care about me anymore? Nicholas, look at me. How can you ignore me? not ignoring you. I'd like to talk to you, but sensibly. Then you do still love me. Oh, Nicholas, why do you always make me feel so insecure? <laughs> mm. uh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh, now stop squirming, darling. No, not squirming. Oh, poor baby, trembling. I'm not, I'm not trembling. Uh, oh, now please, Bianca, don't do that. Oh, I can't help it. You're so male. <laughs> <laughs> please, Bianca, don't do that. I can't help it. You did just noisy neighbors. Noisy? Or nosy? Let's go inside. Good idea. To the bedroom. Don't you dip! 
I think they're having a party over there. Uh, Bianca, Bianca, I have something to tell you, and I, I just don't know where to begin. Well, why not begin in there? Yeah, well, it, it won't be easy. Well, it will be if you don't worry about it. Bianca, my dear, uh, life, uh, life is very strange. Yet, uh, things that we don't expect to happen sometimes happen when we least expect them to happen. You know what I mean? You don't know what I mean. Uh, Bianca. Uh, marriage. Marriage is a very sacred state. Oh, darling. <laughs> yes, and uh, a, a man's wife means more to him than, than anything in the world means to him. Oh. Tell her. Try. What? I, I'm trying to say that, that a man, uh, when a man has one wife, a man should be faithful to that one wife. Oh, darling, I'll always trust you. Let's go inside. What in heaven's name is going on over there? I'll go quiet them down. Oh, no, you don't. You're not leaving me again. Not tonight. <laughs> this leads to a hilarious back and forth where Ellen attempts to come over to make Nick tell Bianca the situation. All the while, Bianca is trying to ravage Nick. It's really funny to watch. Finally, a very upset Ellen leaves the hotel and takes a taxi to the airport to fly to the house where the kids and Grace are. Nick chickens out and phones Bianca from the hotel lobby claiming he has an emergency case and needs to fly back home to Los Angeles. All right, there's about an hour left and there are tons of hilarity and, of course, mix-ups remaining. The comedic acting is terrific from Day and Garner, and so do yourself a favor and see both versions of the film. Each has their own unique charm and, of course, terrific acting. Plus, there's a reference to My Favorite Wife and a funny scene with Doris Day and Polly Bergen later on. You also see cameos from Chuck Connors, John Aston, and Don Knotts, which are very enjoyable. This really was an era where movie remakes usually worked far better than remakes of today, and part of this is due to the quality of filmmaking being simply better many years ago. And often, the original film was in black and white, and then when they remade it, it's in color. Well, when you make a remake of now a modern movie that was already in color, well, usually it just kind of falls flat. And if you think about the 23-year difference between 1940 and 1963, the change in the world was significantly different. Whereas if you make a film that came out in the late 1990s or even the 80s, things are not that drastically different. Now, don't get me wrong, I realize the internet and cell phones are a big change, but for films themselves, they really are not. And because of this, My Favorite Wife and Move Over Darling are equally enjoyable for me to watch. I suppose I give the slight edge to the original film due to my love of Cary Grant and Irene Dunn, but having Doris Day and James Garner, for me, is a very close second with regards to iconic stars. All right, some fun facts. So Doris Day was nominated for Best Actress in a Comedy Musical, but she lost to Shirley MacLaine for her role in Irma LaDuce. James Garner accidentally cracked Doris Day's ribs after enthusiastically picking her up in one scene. Day, who was the constant professional, continued to shoot instead of delay production. Though she was heavily bandaged and in constant pain and had difficulty breathing and, of course, laughing. Whenever she wasn't shooting, Day had to be completely immobilized per doctor's orders. And when you watch the film, you could never guess that she was in so much pain. James Garner once stated in an interview that he definitely had ideas on how to approach the humor in the script. But when he arrived on the first date on set, he was so impressed with Doris Day's style of humor that he threw his ideas right out the window and followed whatever Doris was doing. 
Martin Melcher, who was Doris Day's husband and manager at the time when this film was made, was well known in the film business for cutting deals on the side. As one of the film's producers, Melcher struck a bargain with the Chrysler Corporation to ensure that every vehicle clearly seen in the film was a Chrysler product. Alright, a fan of the original film, My Favorite Wife, and big-time Cary Grant fan, is Samantha. So she had never seen this version with Doris Day. So we get to find her take, kind of what we did for the parent trap, which she had never seen the original, but then did see the remake with Lindsay Lohan. Well, we kind of do a similar thing here. So we'll figure out which one does she like better, or maybe she likes them equally as well like I do. We'll discuss that with Samantha, and then I'll be back next week to talk about yet another random movie from my DVD collection. Okay, we're back with Samantha. Welcome back. Hello. So I I don't know if we've, I don't think you and I have covered a Doris Day movie. I've covered at least one, but um, we're going to start with uh, Move Over Darling. And uh, before we even get into the film, are, are you even a big Doris Day fan? I would say I'm fairly indifferent <laughs> about her. I think I've never gone deep into her filmography. <laughs> um, and from what I've seen of her movies, they're all charming. She's great. Mm-hmm. Well, she, I mean, at the time, she was one of the most popular actresses I uh-huh. would say, from the late 50s through the 60s. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah. Almost all of her films did really well. Um, now, I know you hadn't seen this particular film, Move Over, Darling, this mm-hmm. version. But had you seen the original with Cary Grant and Irene Dunn called My Favorite Wife? So I have seen the original. Okay. Um, and I really like the original. Okay. Um, since I'm a big like Cary Grant fan. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I've seen most of his movies by now. And yeah, I that one I think I just saw it a couple years ago actually, because it's pretty fresh in my mind. And yeah, it was a cute movie and funny. Yeah, I think it's really too bad that like the Irene Dunn's, the Myrna Loy's, the Gene Arthur's are kind of forgotten yes. today, but they're great actresses. She she really stuck out to me in that movie, mm-hmm. and I think after I watched that, I ended up catching like a couple of her others. Um, and yeah, I feel like she's definitely someone you don't hear about much. Was like great, great in that. And she was in the original um, version of uh, An Affair to Remember. It was called, I think, Love Affair with Charles Boyer. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. So she's a very good actress. But mm-hmm. we're talking about the 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 remake. <laughs> uh, it's my fault. So kind of like when we did the episode for the Parent Trap, where we were kind of comparing the more recent version mm-hmm. to the original. How would you compare My Favorite Wife to Move Over, Darling? So this is hard to explain, but. I'm sure like you'll kind of know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Like those early 60s comedies, they all have a very specific feeling to yeah. them that are like over they're very cute, cutesy. I almost feel like they're not as like slick sometimes as like, you know, their predecessors because a lot of these are remakes that come out sometimes and sure. like with my favorite wife, I feel just seemed, even though it's older, it felt a bit fresher. And I'm also biased because I like those 40s screwball movies. Yeah. Um, and the like kind of bubbly, like 60s versions aren't aren't my favorite. Um mm. so I think, yeah, there's like a feeling to me of difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's how they're acted or yeah, the actors that are picked, um, the scripts, how they talk. 
there's like a different feeling. Part of the reason I enjoyed both versions is because even though the story and the plot are they're very similar, uh, and that's by design, the original <laughs> version's in black and white and mm-hmm. essentially filmed in the late 30s, yeah. whereas the new version that we're talking about, as you mentioned, it's in color, it's very bright, it has that uh-huh. early 60s feel. Um, so uh, obviously you preferred the black and white one, even though it's a screw, screwball comedy, over them, you know, over the kind of the, the cheery <laughs> co- yeah. <laughs> color. Yeah. Maybe it's because I'm just more of a like, I don't know, I like a bit of like darker humor or sure. like sarcastic humor, and I don't like over the top humor mm-hmm. as much um well that's know, right. but you like all feral movies well that's an exception i grew up <laughs> with those <laughs> in south park yes those are like a thing i i grew up with so. okay fair enough so again, <laughs> now it, yeah i might not <laughs> <laughs> so it's hard to compare any actor to cary grant because he's arguably one of the best he's one of your favorites but uh you don't have to compare him but how did you mm-hmm. feel about james garner in this role yeah so James Gardner, he's another one that I really haven't seen. I don't know. None of his movies really stand out to me. I was kind of going through what he's done. And yeah, I think, again, he's just not one like on my radar, per Mm se. Um, And I think for this movie in particular, he felt a little like he was a little flat. Hmm. Um, Maybe that's what they wanted him to be but yeah i thought just from the beginning he didn't show like enough variety there were moments like when he was reunited with doris day's character his wife yeah he didn't like keep me super intrigued so did you ever watch the tv shows he was in because he was in a famous 60s tv show called maverick which is the you know where it's uh a Western type. No. And then of course in the seventies, it was in the Rockford files where he was oh, kind of okay. like the pre Magnum PI type, mm-hmm. type guy. Mm-hmm. So you hadn't seen either, either no, of those. No. Okay. Um, who would you, I mean, I, I do this to you, I'm putting, I'm putting you on the spot. So of the time, um, if you could think of oh. some sixties actors, who would you liked in that role and said maybe of James Gardner? Huh? Oh, that's hard. Like maybe a joke. Cause you're, you like Audrey Hepburn. So maybe George mm-hmm. Pappard. Cause I'm thinking of breakfast mm-hmm. with Tiffany's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Or almost like would Paul Newman work for you? Yeah, I I don't know. I'm maybe it's not that I disliked. Yeah, James Gardner. Maybe it was just the the part how he played it. Okay, because yeah, it just seemed kind of like flat and forgettable. Okay, um, that's, that's fair. But yeah, maybe someone a bit younger, or because it was so like you have Doris Day who was so like peppy and. Yeah. The movie was so colorful and then silly. Like the whole plot is ridiculous. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) And there are a lot of like really ridiculous moments. Like the side characters are very silly and like they have a car chase and it's all ridiculous. But then he was just very much like the kind of plane. So I will have you compare because I think this is a good comparison. How do you like Irene Dunn or Doris Day better in this? Ooh. That's, this is a hard one because, I mean, they're both... They both... I think they both fit mm-hmm. the time well. Yeah, I think Doris Day did a great job with this role. I think she was funny and very, like, captivating. And I think even though it's really unbelievable what happened, <laughs> what, <laughs> oh, what sure. happened um, I think she kind of played into the different things that she was going through. Like, she was 
gone for five years. And so there was that angle and then dealing with her husband who's now married and kind of, yeah, she showed a lot of different emotions and still, and still was pretty funny. Yeah. Those times too. So yeah, I would say I'm pretty like even between the two. It's a draw for that one. Uh, (laughs) the The last comparison I'll have you make is so the, um, the new wife will compare. So um, in this film, it'd be Polly Bergen mm-hmm. versus Gail Patrick, who was uh, kind of a, a brunette um, from, from the, my favorite wife. So if you can remember, which one do you think you liked a little bit more? Oh, I don't even remember from <laughs> my favorite wife. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. So that didn't stick with me at all. Okay. Um, I thought she kind of hit the nail on the head for kind of the, what, the movie asked of her kind of like an annoying she's in the way right yeah yeah, exactly (laughs) and kind of from the beginning she's a bit she stands out in the courtrooms making noise and um you do feel bad for her though because she didn't expect any of this to happen so like when they're at the hotel and he's like ignoring her and running away and <laughs> she's like why isn't he staying with me um that was all done really well um yeah the hotel scenes are very fun like the whole yeah. back and forth yeah yeah so yeah i think she was a good her her character was good i will I say there in the remake uh the the supporting cast is much better because you you have Thelma Ritter, who was in a lot of Doris Day movies, which mm-hmm. she always kind of plays a, a side character. Don Knotts is yeah, in it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, John Aston's in it. Chuck Connors is in it. Uh, Fred Clark. I mean, I, I think the side characters are, are better, I think, in this mm-hmm. film. Yeah. Yeah. And they all have like a moment which kind of breaks up everything in the movie. Right. Well, and like the judge, he then, you know, beginning and end, and he's ridiculous. And oh, yeah. Both parts. So, <laughs> yeah, they added good. Um, good points. He was, uh, the judge was in a lot of uh, classic TV shows. He was in Green Acres and the Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is kind of funny. Okay. Um, so just kind of wrap up, I mean, just watching the film, what were your favorite parts? What would you, you know, was there anything you would have changed? I mean, it kind of already said the plot's kind of crazy, but it is like a screwball comedy. Yeah, yeah. Since it was like a, an exact remake, not much was changed from the mm-hmm. first, but I did really like in this one um, how it just got more and more just ridiculous. And you're like, what's going to happen next? <laughs> right. Like, you think, okay, maybe they'll iron this all out at the hotel. Um, nope. <laughs> then Doris Day plays like a Swedish like nurse or oh, something. Yeah. <laughs> try and disguise herself at Wait, one point. Inga, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, that was funny. That got me a few laughs. And then I think the funniest part for me was the, yeah, the car chase slash, I guess you would call it a car chase, but mm-hmm. um, where Doris Day ends up going through the car wash with right. her convertible top down. <laughs> yeah. I think that scene went on longer than it needed to, but it was still funny because um, mm-hmm. <laughs> they end up getting, you know, I don't want to spoil it, but things turn out in the end. Of course. Um, Somehow, which I thought the wrap up was pretty quick, mm-hmm. um, which is often like a gripe I have with these Older types films. of plots. Yeah. The movie was more of like the process of all the craziness. So it was, I think it all 
turned out fine. <laughs> One thing I will bring up. So this is a common theme of most Doris Day movies because she did sing in real oh, life. Yes. Almost every intro, like <laughs> or intro credits is her uh, singing a song like the, the like the title track. Yeah. Do you like those or are you just kind of like, ah, OK, I think they're charming mm -hmm. from nowadays. There is they seem very cheesy. Sure. <laughs> Right. But I think looking back, they're very charming. And was it necessary to have her sing a very particular song for this movie? No, but I'm guessing the audiences liked it at the time or they wouldn't do it. <laughs> or it could have been part of her contract because maybe she got oh. more money out of it since. It... Oh, I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure. They probably played the song. Mm -hmm. You know, here and there after, who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you really started as a singer before she became an actress. So, yeah, yeah. So, uh, all in all, would, would you watch this again or would you check out more Doris Day movies? I would. I think she's one that I've never explored enough, but whenever I see her movies, they're fun. Yeah, definitely. And they're light. And that's kind of what you want to watch sometimes. So, yeah, I think I need to check out more of her. More of her movies, even though they are a bit cheesy sometimes for me. I would say definitely check out all of her 60s films because those are really when she hit her strikes. You know, the, the trilogy with Rock Hudson, those are all great. You know, you could start with Pillow Talk. But there, there's even some fun ones like Teacher's Pet with Clark Gable. Um, there's a, Oh, yeah. I might have seen that. That one's good. I, you know, and it's in black and white too. Mm -hmm. um, it happened to Jane is actually a lot of fun with Jack Lemon. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, really good ones, I, I think, with, with, that are worth checking out. Yeah. Oh, I've seen randomly, Please Don't Eat the Daisies. Oh, yeah. There you go. Looking. So, you know, yep. there are a couple I've seen. <laughs> Maybe yeah, that a, one didn't leave the best. Um, I think she, she was in a couple with David Niven. I think that one and another one. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, oh, I think you'd like that touch of mink, too, because Carrie Grant's in that oh, one. Oh, yeah. Okay. That would be a good one. And I like it because the the original New York Yankees are in that. I think Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris are in it. <laughs> they make a cameo. Oh, well, so, you would know. I wouldn't. <laughs> I would know for that. Yes. <laughs> but as always, thank you so much, Samantha. And we'll be okay, talking sure. again real soon. Okay, bye. If you are ever in the San Francisco Bay Area and still love collecting or renting DVDs or VHS tapes, come check out Captain Video and San Mateo at 2837 South El Camino Real. Captain Video is open six days a week and closed on Wednesday, and one of the last traditional video stores still running in the United States. New movies you can rent for $2.99 a day. Old movies you can rent for $2.99 for five days. And if renting isn't your thing, you can also purchase anything you find in the store. Be sure to tell Ira that you heard about Captain Video from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. Happy renting and happy collecting at Captain, Captain Video. Video. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.